Hi, I'm Kayla. And I'm Alicia, Kayla's mom, and you're listening to True Crime Exposed. everyone, welcome to our show where me and my mom tell you new true crime stories every week. We are super happy to have you here with us today. You know, one of our goals here is to be victim advocates, and you are helping us do that. By supporting our show, you're helping us spread awareness about these crimes and give voices to families that want their stories out there. So I just wanted to say we are so grateful to you for listening to us, for sharing our podcast, and for supporting our show. Today, I'm going to tell you a story that seems unreal, a story that has spread within the last month on social media and has even caught the eye of famous people such as Cardi B with huge platforms that have tweeted out about this case. It's a story that will leave your head spinning left with so many unanswered questions, questions that the families are fighting for. So with that, are you ready for today's case? So we're together today recording because I'm down here in Utah. We're doing a little birthday for my baby. She turned one this week. Yay. So we, I was actually going to do a mini-sode, but I ended up getting a bunch of information on this case. So we are going to make this our episode for this week. What a surprise. It's longer <laughs> than you thought. It always is. She's She's been getting annoyed at me for making her record for like two hours plus at a time. Well, I just want her to record. We can record the two hours, but I want her to split it for each week, like a separate week. But she won't do that, <laughs> which you guys will probably like that as well. So we'll we probably will always have a lot of two parters because I can't stop myself when I'm like getting the information. She just gets so much detail. Yeah, I can't stop. So I've seen this mysterious death in a couple places recently, and I first heard about it over on Morbid, like right when it first happened. And then I actually just recently had one of our listeners send a post to me, like a post from Instagram, and it's like really, really a bad case the way it's been handled. And it will lead us into some talk surrounding like the missing white woman syndrome and just like a police department that actually has kind of a history with discrimination. So we're going to discuss the death of Lauren Smithfields. Have you heard of that? I have not. It's been starting to go everywhere, but it just happened last month. And then it's been only the end of January that this case has kind of picked up traction. So it's December 13th when Chantel Fields and her son decide to head over to Lauren's apartment in Bridgeport, Connecticut. So Chantel is Lauren's mom and Lauren's family had grown worried over days leading up to December 13th because Chantel couldn't get a hold of Lauren. So she had texted her a bunch of times and then as time went on, she started sending texts like, are you okay? Please let me know. 
And Lauren is 23 years old at this time, but she was still keeping in regular contact with her family. So this lack of communication was like really rubbing Chantel the wrong way. Now, when Lauren's mom and brother walk up to her apartment door, they're met with something that's so strange before they can even knock. So it's this note and it reads, if you're looking for Lauren, call this number. And then there's this number left for them to call. That is very bizarre. When they can't get a hold of her. <laughs> like, Well, it'd just be weird to walk up to your child's door and say, if you can't get a hold of this person, then call this number. Yeah. It's like, if I better know where you are. Nobody mm-hmm. better be telling me to call any number. Yeah. Especially when you're already worried. You're so worried that you just went to her apartment. So that number ends up being the number for Lauren's landlord. So Chantel calls it and she waits by her car just sitting there. She's super confused, like what's going on? So the landlord, he comes down to meet Chantel and then he delivers the worst news she could have received. And he's like, Lauren is dead. She was found the day before and detectives were already here. They were already involved. And this landlord actually had the phone number for a detective that had been by. And so he handed this over to Chantel and her son and they had no idea. How did they not contact any of her family members? Yeah. They they didn't they didn't contact her. No, they did not contact her family at all. I'm dumbfounded at that because I think that would be high on the priority of them yeah. to find out who the family members are. Yeah, I think that's why this case has gotten like a lot of traction lately too. So, it's the Bridgeport Police Department that had come to Lauren's apartment the day before and they find her dead. And like we just said, they inform no family members. They let the landlord know because he has to, you know, go in there, I guess, get like she's obviously not going to be living there anymore. But they just straight up don't call her mom and dad. And Chantel's like frozen. She's in disbelief that her baby's like really gone. Like, what's this dude even talking about? So her son calls the number for the police detective. And he's like, yeah, Lauren was found dead. She had gone out on a date a few nights ago with an older guy that she met on Bumble. And then he found her dead in the morning. And that's like literally all the information that her family was able to get from this phone call. They were super confused. They're like, how did she die? Who is this guy? Um, Like, how did you find her? And they were told that a detective would head over to meet them in like about a half hour. So then they wait for an hour and they try to call a second time. But this detective was super short with them and he ends up just hanging up on them abruptly. And Chantel said, quote, he told me directly on the phone to stop calling him and hung up in my face. It washes like total disrespect. Like that's what you tell a family that's going through grief and just trying to find answers. The way they talk to me, the way they've talked to my family, how they've treated my daughter. They treated her like she was nobody, like she was not important. End quote. Jeez. Like that is just not right. No. They should be very sympathetic yeah. when they're delivering this kind of news to any family. Mm-hmm. And isn't that their job to tell a family? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't get it because in the health in healthcare, I mean, we have to approach things very, very caringly. Yeah. And I would assume it would be the same way in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And they tell her, can you actually stop calling us? I'd be pissed. Oh, I would. Mm, <laughs> like, no, like, I won't. No. I just found out my daughter's dead, actually. And you guys didn't, you guys weren't the ones that informed me. Why no. aren't you doing your job? Yeah, exactly. So 
eventually Lauren's family, they do make more contact with the police department and they're asking about that guy who Lauren was with. And the detective they spoke to on the phone literally says to them, you know what? Don't worry about that man who was there that night. He was a really nice guy. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just have so many questions. That's exactly what I said. Oh, what is what's in my notes? Um, Like, no, I don't care that he's nice. No. Like, like okay, so first off, the, do you get more into the story? Like, who called 911? Yeah, I will. I'll tell you all of that. And I'll tell you, like, the story of how it all happened. And it's weird. But the police are just like... He seems really nice. I'm I'm sure he was nice. Most killers are nice. Uh, how much older was he? A lot older. So real f- fast, let's talk about Lauren first, and then I'll kind of tell the story. I just wanted to share, like, anything I could find about her and, like, who she was. So she was a young black woman. She was only 23 years old, like I said earlier. And at this time, she was a student at Norwalk Community College after graduating from Stanford High School. And she was studying cosmetology and, like, loved beauty. It seems that she was super active on social media. She loved to travel. She was absolutely stunning. She had great style and she like just loved to share her life with people. So Lauren, she had at least a couple brothers, Lakeem Jetter and Tavar Gray Smith. And her brother said that they could always vent to her and she would always listen and give them like super good feedback. She was smart and she was funny and she was loved by a lot of people. What town did you say this was in? Connecticut. Bridgeport. Is is that the town? Okay. I think that's the town, but I might be confused because it's the Bridgeport Police Department. So now let's go back a bit to December 11th and 12th. So it's the 11th when Lauren's getting ready to go out on a date with that man she had met on Bumble. So Bumble's like this online dating app. It basically seems like Tinder. I've never used it, but they said it's kind of the same concept where you swipe left to decline a candidate, you swipe swipe right to match, and then After you match, you're able to message with your match and, you know, like set up a date if you want. So this is what Lauren did. And this date was with 37-year-old Matthew LaFountain. Now, December 11th was their first date ever, their first time meeting. So they decided to just hang out at Lauren's apartment watching a movie, playing some games, eating some food, and drinking. I know I am old-fashioned and I've never used these type of apps, but I think they're scary. Like people just go out and meet random strangers that they don't know. Like they go to her and they go to her apartment, mm-hmm. which it's like she probably felt a little safer at her apartment. But it's like I've seen too many stories. I'm going to be scaring my kids against these dating apps <laughs> because there's too many people like there was. I don't I don't remember her name. I hate when I can't remember like the victim's name. But there was a girl just not long ago. Wasn't it actually out of Utah? She went on a Tinder date and he yes, he killed her and he put her in a case. suitcase. Yeah, yes, we will. We should. Because these are dangerous. Like these are the types of episodes my teenagers will be listening to. Like that, you cannot meet people online. That case was right by our brother-in-law's house. It was. Yes. But yes, I agree. I I know it's the norm now in the 2020s, mm-hmm. but I'm not used to it. No. So Matthew, he says that he showed up around 9.30 p.m. and that the two had matched on Bumble just three days earlier. And then he claims that Lauren fell asleep while watching the movie. So he just carries her into her bedroom and then proceeds to sleep in the bed next to her. 
And I just thought that was weird in itself. Like, this is your first date. That would creep me out. Like, don't walk me to my bedroom and then, like, sleep in my bed. <laughs> I also well, find it hard to believe she'd fall asleep. That heavily? Yeah. yeah. I find it hard to believe she would fall asleep on her couch on a first date. Did he drug her? It's coming. It kind <laughs> of seems like it, but but he has... This case is so weird because he has, I'll make it clear, he's never been charged with anything or even looked into, but that's like the big problem with Lauren's family and pretty much everyone else, like as it's spreading. So Matthew, he goes on to claim that he woke up at like 3 a.m. because he had to go to the bathroom and he he definitely heard her snoring. So she was okay at 3 a.m. And then at 6.30 a.m. when he wakes up in the morning to find Lauren and she's not breathing, and she has blood dripping from her nose. And this is when he calls 911. So detectives, they come, and they do find Lauren unresponsive. She is taken to the hospital and pronounced dead on December 12, 2021, at 6.59 a.m. And remember, no one notifies her family. And I heard in one place that the officers, they said they were able to ID Lauren, so they didn't need to talk to her family because they had no problem IDing her without them. That is crazy. Yeah. I would think that the hospital would also try to get a hold of a family member. I know. It's so weird. Like, no one went out of their way to They, they just like, call let mom. this poor girl mm-hmm. pass away and nobody's there to say goodbye to her. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then her mom is wondering for a full day, like, why she can't get a hold of her daughter and all these other people know she's dead. Like I just said earlier, Matthew LaFountain has not been charged with any crime. He is not considered a suspect. He's not considered a person of interest. Remember, police say no worries. He's a super nice guy. And they state in their incident report that he was frantic and shaken when they showed up and that he had been performing chest compressions at the instruction of the 911 operator. So anyway, police, they do talk with him as they fill out their incident reports, and he says he doesn't know what happened. The only thing that stood out to him was that Lauren went outside at one point during their date and said she was meeting someone. And then when she came inside, he says that all of a sudden she fell ill, but the two continued to drink. So he's claiming that she went into the bathroom multiple times after this to throw up, but yet he's saying that she still continues to drink through the night. And all of this brings us back to when Lauren's mom and brother show up to her apartment to find that strange note and learn the devastating news. So once Lauren's family go into Lauren's apartment to clean it out, they actually start coming across items that they felt like should have been taken in as evidence, especially when the police should have been investigating this death of a young, healthy 23-year-old woman. Well, what did they attribute the death to? They had to have done an autopsy, right? Yes, but at this point, they have had no info. We'll see. It takes like a month and a half for that autopsy report to even come out. But like in the meantime, you'd think when a 23-year-old dies and it's she's on a date with a guy she's never met, you'd think the police would at least collect evidence until they get that autopsy report. Right. Yeah. Look around. Look at your scene. Mm-hmm. Look at the surroundings like it's not normal for a 23 year old to die. Yeah, exactly. I, police just treated it pretty much like an accident. Like I think they think, oh, she maybe overdosed on something and this was an accident. 
Well, right. Which, and I was kind of thinking like, well, she went outside. Well, did they find out who she went outside to meet? Did they interview him? Haven't heard anything about that. And that's the weird thing. Like, did she actually go outside or is that his way of saying, oh, she went out to get something? In case the autopsy did come back mm-hmm. with like drugs in her mm-hmm. or something. Because I actually read in another place. So I read that he said she went out to meet someone. But then I all like, you know, different sources say different things. But you don't if you just see it in one place, you're not for sure if they're right. But one other place said that she went he said she went out to meet her brother, which obviously that's not true because her brother hadn't talked to her in a few days. Yeah. I, it's just odd that the hospital didn't contact a family member either. I'm, I'm not saying it's the hospital's fault at all, but it's like usually nurses like get down to that detail and they want family members there if something's happening. Because you do that. Right. You, you don't you don't just not contact somebody like we couldn't get a hold of some parents someday and we needed to badly. We sent the police over to get them because mm-hmm. they wouldn't answer their phone. I mean, it had to have been easy it's somewhat easy for them to track down who her mother or father was. And it sounds like they all lived right around there because they were able to go over. So Right. Or like a friend. Was mm-hmm. her phone not there? Could they did they not look in her phone for her contacts? No. Like they had to have been able to get a hold of a next of kin. I know. I think they like did not care. Like that one comment about like, oh well we didn't need to ID her. Like we were able to. Uh, okay, well that's not why you tell the family. No, no, (laughs) no. The family needs to know because they just need to know. So inside Lauren's apartment, they find a used condom in the trash, an unidentified pill, a bottle of open lube and a blood stain that's in the middle of her bed. And once they see all of this, they pressure the police to come in and take it into evidence. But they really do have some pushback before the department reluctantly agrees to take it in and consider it in the death investigation. So her brother, Tavar, he said, quote, to walk into your little sister's house and see the bloody sheets where she died at. And they didn't take this, collect it for evidence or nothing. That's heartbreaking. So a couple things stand out to me about the items that were found. So first... There was an article that I read which stated that Matthew was adamant about not having sex with Lauren the night of their date. Now, I don't know exactly how true that is because, again, I just read it in one source. But let's say that is true. And he's saying they didn't have sex. Then that is weird to find a used condom and a bottle of open lube. Yes, very weird. Mm -hmm. If there was that stuff, I mean, he obviously went over there preparing to have sex with her who brings a condom and a bottle of lube unless it was hers i don't know but it rings it could have been there like prior to him coming over but you would think she'd probably clean up stuff yeah if it happened before Mm -hmm. their encounter and the police would be able to find out if the condom was you know tested to him or not yeah Like if it ended up being suspicious, but they didn't even take it in at all. And her family found all this stuff. I think it was about two weeks after. They should have run DNA on it so they could see if he was lying. Exactly. But they weren't investigating him because he's so nice. (laughs) Now, second, uh, Matthew had that explanation for police about the bloodstain, right? So he said that Lauren wasn't breathing and that she had blood dripping from her nose. The weird thing to me is that the blood stain, her family describes it as bloody sheets, which makes it sound a little more than a blood stain. And it's stated that it's in the middle of her bed. 
not on the pillow, not at the head of the bed where her head probably would have been. It, And then I actually read in another source that Matthew stated he woke up to find her on the ground with dried blood around her nose. So either way, whatever statement he said, both of them point out different strange things to me. Because if you found her on the ground, did you not hear her fall off the bed? Right. Was there blood on the ground? Uh, if she got a bloody nose, it's clearly not going to be in the middle of the sheets. No. You couldn't get your head just laying there in the middle of the sheets unless you're like bent in half. Otherwise, your feet would be hanging off the bed, right? And let's just say like if you're not out of it, if you're not drunk to the point where you're passed out or drugged, your first night with somebody, you're not going to sleep very well. Mm-mm. No, you're like nervous. You're not going to sleep so hard that he can carry you into your bedroom and just get in your bed with you. No. That whole th- that whole story is weird. So after the Bridgeport Police Department blow off Lauren's family, don't ask answer their questions and just tell them that the guy Lauren was with was super nice, her family decides that they're not taking it anymore. So now they demand answers. So on January 23rd, loved ones gather for a protest. Now keep in mind, this is more than a month after Lauren dies, and the family still had zero answers. By this point, her family and friends had used social media to spread Lauren's story, and it was just starting to gain some traction. So January 23rd, the day of this protest, it was actually Lauren's 24th birthday. Hundreds of people showed up for Lauren. Chantel and her family wore shirts with Lauren's photo on them, quoted with justice for Lauren. And others held handmade signs saying things like, we want answers, protect black women, save our daughters, Bridgeport set up. Now, they all gather first at the police department, and then they march to the doorstep of the mayor's office, which is located in the Morton Government Center. And this march was like one third of a mile, and they chanted for Lauren the whole way over. And their chants could be heard saying, like, Mayor Ganim, step up. They, they wanted the mayor to do something about this. Now, by this point, Lauren's family had hired an attorney. His name's Darnell Crossland, and he filed a notice stating that they will be suing the city for things like the way Lauren's death has been handled, how they didn't contact the family in a timely manner, how they were dismissive and insensitive to the family, among like other things. Good for them. I think they should do that. Justice is definitely needed. Yeah. Like, even if something, you know, like, even if it doesn't have to do with the guy who stayed there, they totally mishandled this case. Right. Just even the way they were treated. Mm-hmm. Even, I mean, the biggest thing to me is that they didn't get a hold of the family. No, I think that's like so weird for everyone who's heard about this case. And then it's like, why did the landlord tell him in that way? Not that it's the landlord's fault, but it's like, why is it his responsibility to be like, oh, hey, Lauren's dead? Yeah, like it wasn't the police that left the note. Like it was the police had didn't try at all. The landlord was like, someone's probably going to come looking for her. Yeah, I'm still pissed about that. Yeah, no, I think that's like crazy. So it's during this March that they are demanding for an independent investigation done by the state police and attorney general. They also wanted an internal internal affairs involved to look into how the cops handled it. And they wanted a bill in Lauren's name that will require cops to notify families sooner in cases of untimely deaths. 
Now, Chantel Field said, quote, the arrogance, the insensitivity. My daughter had a life. My daughter traveled the world. She was in college. All we keep getting is doors closed in our face and empty promises, end quote. And it's during this protest that the march stops and they stop at Broad at the Broad Street steps. And this is when Lauren's family publicly identifies the man who last saw Lauren alive, Matthew LaFountain. Again, he's not a person of interest to police. He's not a suspect. He's barely been questioned. So police didn't release his name. Lauren's family kept it, you know, to themselves for that month. But by the time the protest came, they're like, nope, we're letting it all out there. So the protests, along with the pressure that's now circulating on social media, pressures the Bridgeport police to start having to take this case more seriously. And it's one day after the protests that the chief state medical examiner finally comes out with Lauren's autopsy. So he concludes that she died of acute intoxication due to the combined effects of fentanyl, promethazine, hydroxazine, and alcohol. So basically, this is an overdose due to the mix of alcohol, prescription drugs, and fentanyl. And he ruled her death as an accident. So the fentanyl is an opioid, which could slow her breathing down when mixed with alcohol, could be deadly. And then the promethazine and hydroxazine are just like um, anti-nausea, anti-vomiting kind of pills. But it would be interesting I wonder if they said anything, if she did have prescriptions for those. I I doubt she had prescription for fentanyl. Most people don't mm-hmm. um, unless you're in severe, severe pain. So hopefully her parents have looked into that. Yeah. And I think they said like as far as they knew, she didn't use drugs. She wasn't prescribed fentanyl. That's why they're thinking it's weird because so her family's saying like that was introduced to her somehow. So how like how was it introduced to her system? I mean, it seems odd. Medical examiners, have you heard the same thing that they take into consideration what the police has investigated? So if they weren't investigating Lauren's death at all and she overdosed, then obviously he's going to rule that as an accident. But I don't think he would have ruled it as an accident if the police said she overdosed, but it's suspicious. And we don't know about this guy. Right. Did did any did she have a history of drug use? No. She was like a good student. She was going to college. It sounds like she liked to drink. A lot of college students do. Like as far as I can tell, they were drinking tequila. She asked him to bring some over. He probably drugged her. Yeah, because he brought the tequila. Oh. Mhm. Did they test the pill? That didn't they find an un uh, unlabeled pill? Mhm. So they found an unidentified pill. Lauren's family did and asked the police to bring it in, but they haven't heard anything about the evidence that police took it. It is right after the medical examiner releases these results on a Monday night. The very next day, it's announced that the Bridgeport Police Department would now be starting a criminal investigation into the death of Lauren Smithfield. This was just in the last couple of weeks. And they say the DEA will be helping with this investigation as well. The DEA is the Drug Enforcement Administration. We talked about it yesterday. We couldn't decide if it was administration, association, or I don't remember the other one. Agency. Yeah. <laughs> it's Drug Enforcement Administration. So... It looks like the Bridgeport Police, Narcotics, and Vice Division are the ones that open the criminal investigation. So that seems to me that at the moment, they are more focused on the drug involvement in this case, like for now. So they're not 
necessarily suspicious of the man still, but it looks like they're trying to get to the bottom of how these drugs came into her system. I would hope if they don't find someone who did meet up with Lauren that night and gave her, you know, this stuff, that they would start looking into the guy she was last seen with or last known to be with. Yes. I mean, honestly, what did they find out about him? Why is he so old going for a 23-year-old? 37 and 23. That's like, that's a lot. That's 14 years more. And I don't know. It's And she didn't just fall asleep. Well, I mean, I guess she could have fallen asleep and he could have carried her in there if she really was taking that stuff. I know. But it's like, why would she take that on a first date? Yeah. And it doesn't sound like she had this problem with drug abuse. So sure, if someone had this history of drug abuse and, you know, like they're known to do that and but like all of a sudden this girl who's not known to do drugs at all goes outside, gets fentanyl and takes it on this first date with a guy and then he finds her dead in the morning and he sleeps over. Yeah, my theory, he probably drugged her up a little too much, had his way with her and she ended up dying. He might not have meant to make her die. That's kind of what I'm thinking, too. So police chief Rebecca Garcia said, quote, the Bridgeport Police Department continues to treat the untimely death of Lawrence Smithfields as an active investigation, as we are now refocusing our attention and efforts to the factors that led to her untimely death. We have engaged several partners to assist with this portion of the investigation. Once again, we offer our sincerest condolences to the friends and family of Lauren Smithfields and ask that anyone with information to please call 203-576-TIPS, end quote. Now, what was really wrong with this whole thing is how Lauren's family had to find out, like we've talked about, like how they treated her family, how they pushed them to the side, how they didn't collect evidence. And just how they showed that they just didn't care about Lauren's life. And this has sparked conversation around the country about how people treat missing and murdered cases of colored women. And we did actually talk about this, me and you, right after our mini-sode on Gabby Petito. Right. Yeah. Because her case, it it did bring forward that conversation again about missing white woman syndrome and about how people do jump into action faster when it's like a beautiful white woman. And I I believe that Gabby deserved that attention. I'm glad her case got that attention because it blowing up in the media is what helped law enforcement find her. Like that is how they found her quickly and they were able to bring her body home to her family. But on that note, everyone deserves that attention. That's the sad part. It's not that Gabby doesn't deserve that attention or like a white woman doesn't deserve it, but everyone deserves it. It's not only white women that should be getting that attention. Right. Remember when we did, we talked about that missing lady from Florida. Didn't she go missing from her apartment and it ended up being like someone from the, like her um, maintenance guy? Yes, yes. That was right on around Gabby Petito's, but she didn't get any attention. Yes, we talked about that on one of those old news episodes. Yes. And yeah, you like just you don't hear about them as much. I don't I like I don't understand it because I don't I don't think I would ever like purposely go. And I think a lot of people don't purposely go out of their way to do it. But it's like they're not actively trying to share these other stories. Right, which doesn't make sense because a missing person's a missing person. They're all interesting. It doesn't matter what race, religion, yeah. 
color. It doesn't matter what you are. They still all deserve that attention. But I think it's probably the media that blows it up. Yes, I do think that the media like has a hand in it. And once it's everywhere on the media, then people are sharing it on social media. But if the media shared more, you know, missing and murdered indigenous women and colored women, then more people would also be sharing those on social media. So now that it has been going around on social media this last month, like there's been some famous people that have come across Lauren's story. So Cardi B, she came across her story. She tweeted out like a picture actually of Matthew next to a picture of that creeper from um, The Lonely Bones. And I don't remember what her tweet said, but it said something like a real life monster, like nobody's as creepy as that guy from the lovely bones yeah i said the lonely bones the lovely bones you're right i that oh that show's good and that guy is a creep and he's like the typical you know nice guy yep nice neighbor and so yeah she just tweeted that out she said that lauren deserves justice so i think that's been really good like having people that actually have a platform and famous people like finding her story Now, the Connecticut Police Department, they're obviously under fire for the way they've treated Lauren. And the thing is that it's not just Lauren. And again, I feel like I always have to reiterate in these episodes that I really do support the police. I support the good police officers doing the good work. Unfortunately, I think a lot of time, like when we're talking about these cases that are super surprising or that need attention, unfortunately, there are you know, it's bad circumstances, bad police work, and we have to talk about it. Yeah. So it seems overly mm. like, but I think the we do outweighs. support the police. Yeah. And I think the good officers outweigh the bad officers, but we have to talk about these, you know. But that's why these cases come to light because somebody messed up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And if we don't talk about it, then, you know, the people who are doing the good work, they're never. I don't know. The people who aren't doing the good work are just kind of screwing over the people who are doing the good work. So in this police department, since 2014, there have actually been 14 complaints or lawsuits that were filed against the Bridgeport Police Department. And these were all surrounding civil rights violations that included excessive force and racial discrimination. Two of these Complaints were actually filed by captains within the police department to black officers, the only two black captains in their entire force. And that, of course, caused an independent probe because these captains accused the department of being racist and that it was a hostile work environment. One captain actually resigned in 2018, um, a white captain, after text messages were released of him talking about the Juneteenth celebration, where he called the parade the N-word parade. So he was basically obviously garbage and obviously forced to resign after this, after they were sent out. And there was a bunch of other stuff he did. I can't remember all of it, but he just did a lot of racist things. How are people still like that today? It's hard for me to even realize that it is happening like I know it is obviously because we're talking about it I just can't wrap my mind around it because I think the people I'm around don't treat people like that like we wouldn't do that and so it's hard to believe that other people would yeah but we know they do and it's totally wrong and we don't support it at all Um, but just from from our perspective it's hard 
to realize people do that. We don't get it because we don't do that. No. And I think that's why people have to talk about it, because that's the only way that you're like, yeah, these people really do do this. This is a officer serving the community that's calling it an Edward parade. And like, I think one of the other text messages he sent, actually, it was something about how he hated black people and he hopes there was like a race war and stuff. And it's like, what are you talking about? Well, and 14 lawsuits seems like a lot. Yeah. Especially all surrounding um, like discrimination and civil rights. Like that's yeah. not good. obviously. Yeah. You know, the Connecticut, that Bridgetown mm-hmm. Bridgeport Bridgeport. You need a new you need some new leadership. <laughs> yes. And a lot of people are saying that. So like this next girl, she's a city council member. Her name's Maria Peria. And she said that police brutality has actually cost their city millions of dollars in just the last two years. Quote, it's constant here. Civil rights violations, shooting people in the back, kicking people in the face while they're down, pistol whipping young people when their backs are turned. Our police department is in shambles at every level. Manpower, morale, it's not functioning. End quote. Get the bad ones out. Yeah, they need. I read that they need like a full like clear out and re obviously from leadership down. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So there's a ton of people that are, you know, supporting these statements, including the NAACP, local politicians and even officers within the force. And they've said that this is just this case. Lawrence case is just a reflection of longstanding concerns about the department. So the police force, it's 54% white when only 20% of the residents here are white. And there is only one black detective. 80% of the police leaders are white. And out of the top seven leadership positions, there are none held by a black officer. And there have been black officers within the force that have made complaints over the years about the conduct of the Bridgeport Police Department and how they're you know, not able to like get job on opportunities. So there's actually about a dozen officers that have filed internal complaints about opportunities for promotion, hostile work environment, retaliation for speaking up and a lot of other things. I hope they can internally fix it uh, quickly. Yeah, me too, because it does not sound like they're doing well. So, you know, it does lead to the question, is this environment and this standard within their force the reason that they treated Lauren so poorly? A young black woman who died after a date with a quote unquote nice white older man. Did they blow off her investigation due to her race? So after the whole protest that Lauren's family did, clearly it worked. We saw, you know, they got the autopsy out right after they started a criminal investigation two days after and The mayor, Joe Gammon, he did come out and say, quote, sensitivity and care is of utmost importance when working with the family of a victim. There is no tolerance for anything less than respect and sensitivity for family members and their loss. Now, Lauren's family is not the only family with a black daughter who died that the police decided not to notify any family members. And because of this, two detectives have been suspended just within the last couple weeks. And these suspensions came days after the criminal investigation was open in Lauren's case, which again was right after that protest. And the other black woman is Brenda Rawls, who was 53 years old, and she was found dead on the same day that Lauren was found dead in the same city. Was it the same? policeman 
Same police force. Why aren't they contacting the families? That's like your number one. No, this is so weird because Brenda died in such a similar way. There's actually far less information on Brenda because Lauren's family has really got her story out there. And thankfully, it's bringing a little light to Brenda's family. But what happened is Brenda had told her sister, Dorothy Rawls, that she was going to meet a man who she knew and he lived just down the street from her. This was on December 11th, again, the same day that Lauren had Matthew over for their first date. Well, December 12th passes and no one can get a hold of Brenda. And then the 13th, it comes and it goes and they still can't get a hold of Brenda. So by the 14th, they're like, you know what? We need to do something about this. And this is literally happening in parallel with Lauren's family who went to her apartment on December 13th to discover that no. Well, Brenda's family, they go to search for their loved one just one day after on December 14th. Well, Brenda's family, they go to this man's house and they're like, hey, Brenda said she was coming to your house a couple days ago and we haven't been able to get in touch with her. Like, do you know where she could be? Is she still here? And this is when he tells them that Brenda did come over. In fact, she spent the night. But when he woke up on December 12th, he couldn't wake her up and she was dead. What? Right? I did not know this part of the story. I've heard of Lauren Smithfield's, but I had not heard of Brenda until I started looking into Lauren's case. The man wasn't Matthew, was he? I don't think so. You'd hope not, (laughs) since they obviously didn't put that together. So that is just so crazy to me. So these two women, two black women, they go over, they're hanging out with guys. They end up both dead in the morning the same day. And then the same police force, you know, is over both cases and they don't notify any family members. How? I don't get it. Obviously, Brenda's family was shocked and they started to look into her case themselves. So police had gone to this man's home. They had found Brenda dead. But just like in Lauren's case, they don't notify her family. Did the man call 911? Yep. Just like Matthew did for Lauren. And her family said, quote, nobody ever notified us that she died. We had to do our own investigation and find out where she was, end quote. That is outrageous. That makes me mad. Like, don't just suspend those police officers. Fire them. Exactly. So the man, he gave them Brenda's clothes that she had been wearing that night as well as her shoes, which they're confused about why all of that was even left behind with him. Did he say how she died? No, he didn't know either. That's what it sounds like. He's saying he doesn't know he woke up and she was dead. I know. Did they do an autopsy on her? It's not out yet. Sounds like her family needs to go protest now. It might get out a little faster. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because she died the same day and Lawrence was just put out. What did I say? The 24th, I think. And so, yep. And Brenda's is still not out as far as I know. Now, Brenda's family, they looked into the police report, which showed no indications of a search done of her apartment or at the home where her body was found. And as far as I could tell, like I just said, the medical examiner hasn't released a cause of death yet for Brenda. And before they got the report, police actually told them that no one could help them when they were looking for information. They were told that, sorry, she died. No, like we can't help you. That's as much as we know. Well, what are they doing with all these bodies? Like if they don't notify the families, like who they obviously have to find somebody to pay for all this. Uh, Don't you have to get permission to do an autopsy on a body? I'm sure probably their families ask for autopsies when they find out their 
loved ones dead three to four days after they die. It's not like these people died and then the police didn't find them for a few days. The police were notified right away when these people passed away. And then they just chose not to tell the families. And I think it's super weird that it's two girls in pretty similar circumstances. Yeah. So it's Kevin Cronin and Angel Lanos who have been suspended from the Bridgeport Police Department and they are on administrative leave until the internal affairs investigation is concluded. Their supervisor also retire, retired from the department in the last couple weeks. So right after they got suspended, their supervisor, he quits. Oh, I wonder why. Mm-hmm. Right as there's an internal affair, you know, internal affairs investigation going on. Now, that's pretty much all we know right now in the deaths of Lauren Smithfields and Brenda Rawls. And like I said, how is it that two women die the same day and police chose not to let their families know? Two families had to go searching for themselves only to find out what the police already knew days earlier. This whole case, I just don't understand it. And I will be anxiously awaiting updates on Brenda's cause of death, as well as the conclusion of all the investigations going on. talking about bats today. So, bats live in caves. Bats sleep in the morning. Bats drink blood. And that's what I know about bats. And next time, tell your friends that bats drink blood and they live in caves and they sleep at the morning. So, tell your family, cousins, friends, Family, moms, sisters, brothers, tell everyone about that. And I'm also a kid too. If you hear this and you're a kid, tell you your friends. Do you like bats or are they too creepy? I think they're so cute and snuggly. I have a blue toy bat that hangs on to me. Bye. Have a good day. Thanks for listening today, everyone. If you want to help support our show, please go leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. But if you're like, no, this isn't a five-star. There's some things I want to talk about. Well, then email us at truecrimeexposed at gmail.com and give us your constructive criticism. We'll see what we can do to help bring you the content you want. This podcast is research written, hosted, and edited by me, Kayla Waters. It's co-hosted by Alicia Jenkins. Our palette cleanser is given to us by Charlie Waters. Our original graphic art was created by Arthur Max, and our music was created by Jaden Schultz, who you can find on Instagram at In Pajamas Music. Make sure to go follow us on Instagram and on TikTok to find pictures and information on every case we cover. You can find us on Instagram at True Crime Xpod true crime expod and you can find us on tiktok just all spelled out at true crime exposed podcast
Stick around if you want to learn about an organization you can get involved with to help make a difference in fighting against these crimes. Okay, guys, so I found this really cool organization. It's called Ujima, and it's the National Center on Violence Against Women in the Black Community. So they are the forefront of new training, and they have outreach tools to reduce violence against and homicides of black women. They have literature, webinars, national issue forums, regional trainings, community-specific roundtables, blogs, articles, and on-site technical assistance. They also work with other organizations to develop public service announcements, issue briefs, videos, monographs, and fact sheets. You can visit their website at ujimacommunity.org. That's U-J. I-M-A, community.org. On their website, you can find who they are, what they do, their community conversations, resources, jobs, and help. I encourage you to visit their website, see if you can volunteer, see if you can donate, and just go support the cause. 